Section 19 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 59. Livre, Friday, November the 6th, 1676. Surely there never was so brilliant a letter as your last. I had some thoughts of sending it back that you might have the pleasure of perusing it I could not help wondering while I read it how it was possible to wish so ardently to receive no more. This, however, is the affront I put upon your letters. You seem to treat mine much more civilly. This Raymond is certainly hem hem with the headdress you know so well. Footnote. Mademoiselle Raymond had taken an apartment in the convent of the Visitation in the Faubourg Saint-Germain, a convent founded by Madame de Sévigné's grandmother. Madame de Sévigné recants a little, see the letter of the 21st of October, back to main text. This Raymond is certainly hem-hem with the headdress you know so well. She has dressed in this style, as you properly observe, that she might seem qualified to hear the music of the blessed above. And our sisters have done the same, from the wish of obtaining a fund of seven thousand leave, with a pension of a thousand, by which she is enabled to go abroad when she likes, and she likes it very often. We have never had such merchandise before, but the beauty of our house causes us to overlook everything, for my own part, I am quite delighted with it, for in my opinion, both her apartments and her voice are divine. Hem, hem. The dates you mention in speaking of Madame de Soubise are, thank God, among those which have escaped my memory. Some marked incivility must certainly have been shown during the festivities at Versailles, Madame de Coulange informs me that the tooth has disappeared since the day before yesterday. In that case, you will conclude they can have no tooth against her. Good note, that is, hold no grudge against. Louis on and off affair with Madame de Soubise continued until she lost her incisors. The king could not look at her any more afterwards. Back to main text. You were very amusing upon my friend's illness, footnote Madame de Coulange, back to main text, and at the same time it is all true. The court and ague of our friend at the suburbs, footnote Madame de Lafayette, back to main text, is happily at an end. I have sent your letter to the Chevalier, footnote de Grignon, back to main text, without apprehension or reproof. I love him sincerely. As for my pigeon, I wish I could give him a kiss. I have some idea in my head, I know not how truly, that leads me to think I shall one day or other see all these little folks. I cannot understand the eight months child. Pray, is she likely to live a century? I fancy the gentlemen that fought it out so bravely in the streets are in a fair way to live as long. 
it would really be a very pretty and just punishment for a battle in the midst of summer. Adieu, my dear lovely child, I shall finish this in the good city of Paris. Friday at Paris So here I am. I have been dining at the worthy Bagnols where I found Madame de Collange in this charming apartment embellished with the golden rays of the sun where I have often seen you, almost as beautiful and as brilliant as he. The poor convalescent gave me a hearty welcome and is now going to write two lines to you. It is, for what I know, something from the other world which I'm sure you will be very glad to hear. She has been giving me an account of a new dress called Transparencies. Pray, have you heard of it? It is an entire suit of the finest golden azure brocade that can be seen, over which is a transparent black robe, either of beautiful English lace or velvet chenille, like the winter laces you have seen. This occasions the name of transparency, which is, you see, a black suit and a suit of golden azure, or any other colour according to the fancy of the wearer, as is all the fashion at present. This was the dress worn at the ball on St. Hubert's Day, which lasted a whole half hour, for nobody would dance. The king pushed Madame Delicourt into the middle of the room by main force. She obeyed, but at length the combat ended for want of combatants. The fine embroidered bodices destined for Villa Cotre served to walk out of an evening and were worn on St. Hubert's Day. The prince informed the ladies at Chantilly that their transparencies would be a thousand times more beautiful if they would wear them next to their skin, which I very much doubt. The Grand Saint Monaco's did not share in the amusements because the mother of the latter is ill and the mother of the angels, footnote, the Marichal de Grancy, back to main text, has been at death's door. It is said the Marchioness de la Ferte has been in labour there ever since Sunday, and that Boucher is at his wit's end. Monsieur Langlais, footnote master of fashions and of fates at Versailles, back to main text, has made Madame de Montespan a present of a robe of gold cloth on a gold ground, with a double gold border embroidered and worked with gold, so that it makes the finest gold stuff ever imagined by the wit of man. It was contrived by fairies in secret, for no living white could have conceived anything so beautiful. The manner of presenting it was equally mysterious. Madame de Montespan's mantua-maker carried home the suit she had bespoke, having made it fit ill on purpose. You need not be told what exclamations and scoldings there were upon the occasion. Madam, said the mantua-maker, trembling with fear, as there is so little time to alter it, will you have the goodness to try whether this other dress may not fit you better? It was produced. Ah, oh, 
cried the lady. How beautiful! What an elegant stuff is this! Pray, where did you get it? It must have fallen from the clouds, for a mortal could never have executed anything like it. The dress was tried on, it fitted to a hair. In came the king. It was made for you, madam, said the man to a maker. Immediately it was concluded that it must be a present from someone. But from whom was the question? It is Longley, said the king. It must be Longley, said Madame de Montespan. Nobody but Longley could have thought of so magnificent a present. It is Longley, it is Longley. Everybody exclaims, it is Longley, it is Longley. The echoes repeat the sound, and I, my child, to be in the fashion, say, it is Longley. Letter 60, Paris, Wednesday, June the 30th, 1677. At length you inform me that you are arrived at Grignon. The pains you have taken to keep our correspondence uninterrupted is a continual mark of your affection. I can assure you that you are not mistaken in the opinion that I stand in need of this support. Indeed, no one can be more in want of it. It is true, however, that I too often think so and that your presence would have been of much greater service to me. But your situation was so extraordinary that the same considerations that determined you to go made me consent to your departure, without doing anything more than stifle my sentiments. It was considered a crime in me to discover any uneasiness with regard to your health. I saw you perishing before my eyes and was not permitted to shed a tear. It was killing you, it was assassinating you. I was compelled to suppress my grief. I never knew a more cruel or more unprecedented species of torture. If, instead of that restraint, which only increased my affliction, you had owned that you were ill, and if your love for me had been productive of complacence, and made you evince a real desire to follow the advice of the physicians, to take nourishment, to observe a regimen, and to own that repose and the air of livrée would have done you good, this would indeed have comforted me. But your opposition to our sentiments aggravated my grief and anxiety. In the end, my child, we were so circumstanced that we could not possibly avoid acting as we did. God explained to us his will by that conduct. But we should endeavour to see whether he will not permit us mutually to reform, and whether instead of that despair to which you condemned me from a motive of affection, it would not be more natural and more beneficial to give our hearts the liberty they require and without which it is impossible for us to lead a life of tranquillity. Thus I have declared my mind to you freely once for all. I shall mention the subject no more, but let us each reflect upon the past, that whenever it pleases God, 
to bring us together again, we may carefully avoid falling into the same errors. The relief which you have found in the fatigues of so long a journey sufficiently proves the necessity you are under of laying aside restraint. Extraordinary remedies are necessary for persons of an extraordinary character. Physicians would never have dreamed of such a one as that I have just mentioned. God grant it may continue to produce the same good effect, and that the air of Grignon may not prove injurious to you. I could not avoid writing to you in this manner, in order to relieve my heart, and intimate to you that we must endeavour when next we meet not to give any one an opportunity of paying us the wretched compliment of saying very civilly that to keep quite well we should never see one again. I am astonished at the patience that can bear so cruel a thought. You brought the tears into my eyes in speaking of your little boy. Alas, poor child, who can bear to see him in such a situation? I do not retract what I always thought of him, but am of opinion that even from affection we ought to wish him already in a happier world. Paulina appears to me worthy of being made your plaything. Her resemblance even will not displease you. At least I hope it will not. That little quadrangular nose is a feature you cannot possibly dislike to find a grignon. Footnote this alludes to Madame de Sevigny's nose which inclined to the square. Back to main text. It seems to me somewhat odd that the noses of the grignon family should omit no shape but this and should be altogether averse to a nose like yours, which might have been soon formed, but they dreaded extremes, though they did not care about a trifling modification. The little Marquis is a very pretty fellow. You should not be at all uneasy at his not being altered for the better. Talk to me a great deal about the persons you associate with and the amusements they afford you. Letter 61. Livry, Saturday, July the 3rd, 1677. Alas, how grieved I am at the death of your poor child. It is impossible not to be affected at it. Footnote the child that was born in February 1676, back to main text. Not that I was ever of opinion he could live, the description you gave convinced me that his case was desperate. But it is a great loss to you who had lost two boys before. God preserved to you the only one that remains. He discovers an admirable disposition. I am much better pleased with sound sense and just reasoning at his age than with the vivacity of those who turn out fools at twenty. Be satisfied with him, therefore. Lead him like a horse that has a tender mouth. And remember what I told you respecting his bashfulness. This advice comes from persons much wiser than myself, and I'm sure it is good. 
with regard to Paulina, I have one word to say to you. From your description of her, she may, perhaps, in time, become as handsome as yourself. When a child, you were exactly like her. God grant she may not resemble me in having a heart so susceptible of tenderness. I see plainly that you love her, that she is amiable, and that she amuses you. I wish I could embrace her and recognise that face again, which I have seen somewhere. Letter 62, Livry, Friday, July the 16th, 1677. I wish, my dear child, that you had a tutor for your son. It is a pity his mind should be left uncultivated. I doubt whether he is yet of an age to eat all sorts of food promiscuously. We should examine whether children are strong and robust before we give them strong meats. Otherwise we run the hazard of injuring their stomachs, which is of great consequence. My son stays behind to take leave of his friends. He will then come to me here. He must afterward join the army, and after that he may go and drink the waters. An officer named Monsieur D. Dash has lately been cashiered for absenting himself. I know the answer you will make, but this instance sufficiently shows the severity of military discipline. Adieu, my dear child. Be comforted for the loss of your son. Nobody is to blame concerning him. His death was occasioned by teething, and not by a defluxion upon the lungs. When children have not strength sufficient to force out the teeth at the proper time, they are never able to bear the necessary motion to make them all come at once. I talk learnedly. You know the answer of Green Bed at Soucy to Monsieur de Coulange, made by Guy Huard. It is droll enough. Madame de Tionge repeated it to the king, who sings it. It was said at first that he had ruined himself by it, but it is not true, and he will perhaps make his fortune. If this discourse comes not from a green mind, it comes from a green head, which is the same, and the colour of the thing cannot be disputed. Readers note a reference to an exchange of songs between courtiers. This one, composed by Guirag, began Enfin, je le revois, vieux lit de dama vert. The lit is a Coulange family bed, back to main text. Letter 63. Livry, Wednesday evening, July the 24th, 1677. Love Paulina, love Paulina, my child. Indulge yourself in that amusement. Do not destroy your peace of mind by depriving yourself of her. What are you afraid of? You may still send her to a convent for a few years, when you think it necessary. Enjoy maternal affection for a while. It is exquisite when it springs from the heart, and the choice falls upon an amiable object. Dear Paulina, methinks I see her here. She will resemble you, notwithstanding 
She bears the mark of the workman. It is true, this nose is a strange affair. But it will improve, and I will answer for it. She will be handsome. Madame de Vin is still here. She is now in my closet, engaged in conversation with Tocqueville and my son. His heel is still so bad that he may perhaps go to Bourbon when I go to Vichy. Be under no concern about this journey, and since it is not the will of heaven that I should enjoy the charms of your society, we must yield obedience to his will. It is a bitter evil, but it must be endured. We are the weakest, and to attempt resistance is vain. I shall be too happy if your friendship was clothed in all its realities. It is still extremely dear to me, though divested of the charms and pleasures which your presence and company bestow upon it. My son and I will answer all you have said on the subject of epic poetry. The contempt I know he has for Aeneas makes me apprehensive he will be of your opinion. Yet all the great wits have a taste for everything written by the ancients. End of section 19